0: Let's give them another hand. They've had a lot of things to deal with tonight. I'm putting this over here so I can do music. You don't want me to do music. Mark, you agreed too quickly. We'll have a meeting tomorrow. Uh, I, I was thinking about Mike Blaylock is doing our graduation at our school this year. And uh, I'll tell you how old Mike Blaylock is, which tells you how old I am. Uh, his sister was in my youth group when I was in Kansas City. And I met Mike Blaylock at 19, and none of your business. And uh, <clears throat> a long time ago. But uh, I love what God's doing at uh, Mobile. And as you can see by the, I think this year there are like 20 plus mission trips sometime during this year, 21, 22. And Dr. Taylor does a wonderful job of doing mission trips just ri- literally around the world, of taking students and exposing them to all kind of opportunities and giving them a heart for the world. And uh, not every Baptist school does that, folks. I, I hate to burst your bubble. Uh, but Mercer doesn't do that. And a lot of others don't do that. But I, I wanna tell you, University of Mobile as is true to what we believe we ought to commit to for Christian education as any school I know anything about. And so uh, I commend them and their administration and their kids uh, to you. They'll have a uh, admissions information out in the back. If you want to pick up some and find out about it, the best thing to do is talk to a student uh, because the students will tell you the truth. And uh, so just talk to them about it. Ask you to open your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to talk tonight about holy boldness. Holy boldness. This is actually the beginning of persecution. This is the first chapter in the book of Acts, of which there will only be three chapters from Acts chapter 4 until the end of the book of Acts. There will only be three chapters where there is not persecution of the church and of Christians mentioned. And in Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John, who have been hauled in before the Sanhedrin, Because they have healed this lame man. And we begin reading in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to 5,000. Now we're talking about a church that in just a matter of weeks has gone from 120 to over 8,000 people. That's what happened when God gets a hold of a church. People get saved, and lives are changed, and people are attracted to the gospel. But at the same time, you remember Ron Dunn said, good and evil run on parallel tracks, and they normally arrive about the same time. The good of the gospel being shared, the good of lives being changed at the same time, persecution comes up. Verse 5, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or by what force or in what name or authority have you done this? Then Peter said, I don't even know him. Is that what it says? Now that's what he'd said a few weeks before in front of a slave girl. He denied him three times in front of a little girl that was probably a teenager. Peter had denied him three times just a matter of weeks before, but now... Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, then let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Now revival and evangelism have something in common. People will not be indifferent to either one. They will either embrace it or they'll reject it. For evangelism, a lost person will either embrace the truth of the gospel or they'll reject it. For a person who's saved but doesn't want God to work in fullness in the life of a church, and you start talking about revival, they'll either soften or they'll harden. The Word of God softens and hardens, depending on how you're receiving it. And this is a time when the Word of God is going to harden these people. They're not going to know what to do. The church, I'm afraid, today has become comfortable and complacent and we are debating and arguing about things when we need to be proclaiming something. And that proclamation is that Jesus Christ is the only way that you're going to get to heaven. That there is no other way, there is no other truth, and there is no other life by which men can be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. Now, let me let me give you a thought here. As a Christian, you are not a lawyer. You are a witness. Your job is not to argue people into the kingdom. Your job is to witness to the truth of the message of the gospel and the change that it made in your life. You see, when I give a testimony, I'm talking about what's happened to me. But when I give a witness, I'm talking about what God has said in His Word. And I'm bearing witness to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And so I'm not to argue a point. Uh, my job is not to argue with people. My job is to simply present the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, stand on the truth and the authority of the Word of God, and let the gospel work where it will work. In the hearts of people who will listen and receive and respond the truth of God's Word. And so I want us to look at two three things quickly tonight. First of all, when there's holy boldness, it always leads to persecution. It always leads to persecution. That's in verses uh, 1 through 7. Peter and John weren't being persecuted uh, so much for healing this lame man as for the message that they were preaching. And they're preaching that Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Listen, nothing upsets religious people like Jesus. This country is full of religious people. And they'll acknowledge religion, and they'll honor religion. I mean, you know, what's the biggest day of the year? Easter. Everybody gets religious at Easter. Well, we don't want to talk about Jesus at Easter. But religious people are always upset when confronted with the truth of Jesus. That's what happened to these Jews. They they elbowed their way in, and, and they grabbed Peter and John, and they pulled them out, and they took them into a trial. Now, you've got to remember, Peter and John have now been filled with the Holy Spirit and yet they've been taken before the very group that crucified Jesus just a few weeks earlier. But they're taken before that group, and there's apparently been a change. They're not running. They're not hiding. They're not denying. They're standing boldly for their faith, even though they know if they'll kill Jesus, they'll kill us. I mean, if they're going to kill the leader, they're going to kill the followers. And yet they are standing on the truth. John chapter 11 and verse 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now let me just give you some references to tell you how the church is going to get persecuted by believing and standing on that message. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 3 and Acts chapter 5 and verse 18, it says they were in prison for their faith. They were threatened for their faith in Acts Four twenty-one, which we'll look at the next time. They were whipped and beaten, Acts chapter 5 and verse 4. They were stoned to death. Stephen was stoned to death, Acts 7, verses 57 and 58. James was beheaded, Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul was stoned, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Severely beaten, Acts 16, 22 and 23. And imprisoned, Acts 16, 24. Now listen. Anybody that preaches health and wealth hasn't read the gospel in Acts. Because if you believe what God says, it will get you in trouble. Even in a country where we have freedom to share our faith. We tend to enjoy the successes of the early church and want to ignore the sufferings of the early church. We like to talk about 3,000 saved and 5,000 saved and a lame man being healed, but I don't see anybody volunteering to stand before a crowd and be stoned to death and say, Father, forgive them. And you can't read part of Acts and not read all of Acts because there is success and there is also suffering. But these disciples, remember Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to recall to your mind the things that I've said. I mean, they're like you and they're like me. You know, if I don't take notes, I don't remember anything. And so the Holy Spirit came and recalled something in their mind. This is one of the things He recalled to their mind in Matthew 11, chapter 10, in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now, I'm just using my sanctified imagination. Peter and John are there and, and they've been a part of this miracle and they said in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and this lame man is up and he's walking around. Everybody knew he'd been lame all his life. And I think when they were being hustled and and pushed and shoved into the center of that religious meeting, I don't think Peter and John were saying, What are we gonna do? Surely we'll get to make one phone call. Surely we'll be able to get a lawyer. Maybe the ACLU will stand up for us in this event. I wonder if somebody at denomination headquarters would send us bail money. That's not what they said. I guarantee you what they did is they thought, you know, Jesus said there's going to come a time like this. And they're going to bring us before the courts, and they're going to bring us before the synagogues, and it's going to be a witness for the name of Jesus. And we don't have to worry about what we're going to say because when we get there and when it happens, God's going to tell us what we need to say. And so they went facing persecution, but they did not go in fear, they went in faith. They believed that God was there with them in the midst of this persecution. Now the second thing I want you to see is that holy boldness is built on a clear message. A clear message, verses 10 through 12. I want you to see what Peter did. Verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you the builders but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given men by which we must be saved. Now in verse 10 before he said, you know, you killed him. You know what Simon Peter was doing? He was standing before the religious leaders who should have recognized Messiah, and he said, you know what you folks are? You're God murderers. You have murdered the Son of God. The blood is on your hands. You are guilty and we are witnesses and you did it and we're telling everybody that you did it. Now here's a guy who weeks before had denied and now he is boldly proclaiming a very clear message that there is no other name under heaven. Now there are people that would like for us to change that because that sounds offensive, but the gospel is offensive, is it not? I mean, it is offensive. It's offensive to the devil, so if I can offend him, I'm glad to. But that's another sermon. All right, let's look at what he did. He preached Christ crucified. He said, you killed Messiah. He preached the resurrection. He said, God overruled you. You decided to kill him, and God decided to raise him up. Remember, man never gets the last word in any decision. God always gets the last word. He preached that he was the chief cornerstone. He was the one who tied it all together. Jesus was the one that brought the Old and the New Covenant together. He was the one that fit everything together. He was the one that came to put the body together that we call the church. And he said, you rejected this cornerstone. He says that the only hope of salvation is Jesus. You you remember the angel said, you'll call him Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. And he said, this is the name which we preach. Now, here's a guy who's turned the table on them. Now, remember where he's speaking. He is speaking on the porch of Solomon's temple. And he says, you builders rejected the chief cornerstone. Now there's a history behind that. When the temple was being built, it was clearly instructed that there were to be no saws and no hammers in the construction of the temple. Because it was the temple of God, everything was to be pre-cut so that in it being pre-cut, they could bring the rocks and the stones up to place into the temple and simply slide them into place so that no sound of hammer would happen on the mount where the temple was being built. Well, in the process of building and cutting stones and measuring and making sure everything was right so nothing would have to be shaved and shaped when it was up there, in the process of that, somebody saw a stone. And it didn't look to them like a stone that was for any purpose. And so a group of men rolled that stone down the hill into the Kidron Valley. And growth began to go over that stone. And when it came time to lay the cornerstone of Solomon's temple, they looked around and nobody could find the cornerstone. And one day someone went down the hill and said, you know, it looks like there's a big stone down there. And they realized that they had rejected the cornerstone of the temple because they didn't think it was necessary. And so then they had to roll that stone pre-cut perfectly fit to go in as the cornerstone to tie the building together, they had to roll that stone up the hill so that they could put it in. He says, you rejected the cornerstone physically, and you've also rejected the cornerstone spiritually. Everything that our gospel tells us, everything that the book of the law tells us, is that there's coming a Messiah who's going to put all this together, and you have willingly and knowingly rejected it. He says in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name. He gives two negatives to proclaim a positive. If you want to get saved, you got to do it God's way. God's way is through Jesus Christ. Now, did you notice that he didn't say, unless Buddha comes along, unless Mohammed has a revelation, he, he didn't say, unless Joseph Smith is writing down on some tablets one day. Unless the Hindus come up with a better idea. He said, there is salvation in no other name. End of discussion, point made, debate closed, no questions. There is salvation in no other name. Now i got to tell you, there's a surprisingly increasingly number of Christians... Who don't believe that? They believe you get to heaven just about any way you want to. You get to heaven by being sincere. You get to heaven by doing the right things. And and you know, the world wants us, the world loves it when Christians act that way. The world wants us to be tolerant. And tolerance has almost become a value. And yet it's a shame. I want to be tolerant, but not about truth. Truth is right, and it will always be right. If the majority votes against it, it's still right. What's wrong will always be wrong. If the majority votes for it, it's still wrong. It's still God's truth. First Corinthians 15:1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Thirdly, holy boldness is a result of the empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit. Holy boldness is a result of the empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. Now as they observed, and we're going to talk about this verse more the next time. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I was thinking this afternoon, this is is where my weird sense of humor comes in. I I was thinking, you know, the Sanhedrin weren't sitting there and going... Oh, look, I found this picture at the, at the bookstore. It's the picture of the Last Supper. Yeah, there's uh, Peter right there. That's him in that picture of the Last Supper. Yes, and there's John. John's over there on this side, and, and Peter's right there. And there's Judas. Remember, that's the guy we gave the money to. And you know, They weren't looking at a picture of the Last Supper. By the way, there weren't any pictures of the Last Supper, for those of you that are going to try to buy them. There wasn't anybody there with a camera, and there wasn't anybody there with a paintbrush. And every picture you've ever seen of it is inaccurate because Jews did not sit at tables. They were at tables. So da Vinci got it all wrong. We think it's sacred art. It's a Western interpretation that is totally inaccurate for the Eastern culture. And you can't take an Eastern culture and put it in a Western interpretation and say this is an accurate picture of what happened there. It's not the way it did. But that's another sermon. So. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. How? They were acting like Jesus. You remember what Jesus did when He stood before them and they began to accuse Him and they began to question Him and they began to beat Him? He was confident. He didn't back down. He didn't say, oh, please, I'll stop. I won't do it anymore. I won't say anymore if you just quit, if you just leave me alone. He had already decided, not my will but thine be done. He stood before them and He was confident because He was going to the cross. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And so now they're meeting these people that are uneducated and unlearned, and they've got this same confidence and this same courage that Jesus had. Make a note there by verse 13, John 16 and verse 8. Jesus is fulfilling a promise in verse 13. And He, when He comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, this boldness and this empowering to witness is consistent through Acts. So let me ask you to take your Bible and turn a couple of pages to Acts chapter 5 and verse 30. First of all, they have this boldness before their religious opponents, just like they have in chapter 4, even when the persecution intensifies They keep it up. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging Him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And underline it, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. They're standing before the religious leaders that can kill Him, and they said, we're witnesses to what you did to our Lord. We are witnesses of these things, and the Holy Spirit is a witness to these things. Now, go to chapter 10. They have this same boldness before a Gentile. Remember, the gospel goes from Jerusalem to to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus did that in John chapter 1 chapter 4, and in about chapter 12, I think. This happens again in the book of Acts. They're before a Gentile, Acts chapter 10 and verse 39. We are witnesses of all the things He did, both at the hand, in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put Him to death by hanging Him on a cross and raised Him up on the third day and granted that He become visible. They have a witness, a bold witness, before a Gentile. Acts chapter 26 and verse 22, before King Agrippa. They do the same thing. Paul does the same thing. This is a consistent theme of boldness, which is why this series is entitled Holy Boldness. This is a consistent theme of boldness throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26 and verse 22. So having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying. He's giving witness. I stand this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of His resurrection from the dead He would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now how were they able to do this? Acts chapter 2 tells us they were filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4 tells us they were filled with the Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. In the book of Colossians, it says we are to be filled with the Word. And so being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word, we have a boldness to proclaim the gospel that God has given to us. Now, what are the evidences of walking in fullness so that you can have boldness. There are three. Number one, clarity. Clarity. One of the evidences of walking in the Spirit is clarity. It means that we don't stutter, we don't apologize, we don't back up. You know, we never do that about any other subject. You ask somebody, what did you think about the game? Oh, man, I tell you what, it was, a, it was a great game. Did you see that play? Did you see when it was third down? Did you see what they did? Did you, did you see how that guard pulled out? And it, I mean, we'll do all that. What did you think about the movie? Oh, man, the movie was great. You remember the scene where they did that? And we just talk about that. When We will we talk about any subject, and we will go on and on and on and on and on. And somebody brings up Jesus, and we go, I just, I'm just real quiet about my faith. I would question if you got one. If you're bold about sports and bold about politics and bold about movies and bold about your school and bold about everything else and not bold about Jesus, I'd question if you've got Jesus. Because when you've got Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. And when you've got the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to have clarity in what you say. Why? Because the same thing that the Holy Spirit did for Peter and John when they were being persecuted, God promised to you and to me that when I get in a situation and there's an opportunity to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit will empower me and give me the words and what I need to say in the way I need to say it to give a clear presentation of the gospel so that when that person stands before God one day, they are without excuse, Paul says in the book of Romans. Because I say, well, I don't know enough Scripture. You know enough to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say to give a clear witness for God. Clarity. Now, while I was studying this, I found a startling quote. This is from one of the top two or three Roman Catholic leaders in Europe. This came out this year. This Roman Catholic leader in Europe says, quote, listen very carefully, we should not speak anymore to non-Christians. We should speak of them being anonymous Christians. Everyone is really a Christian. Some of us know we are, and some don't. Can I give you the Greek word for that? Baloney. The other Greek word is hogwash. That's heresy. That is just pure heresy. To say, we, we shouldn't speak. Don't talk to anybody that you think's not a Christian. They're just a Christian and don't know it. Let me ask you something. Are you breathing right now? Are, are you? Is everybody in here breathing? Do you know you're breathing? How do you know? Because you're alive. If you're dead in trespasses and sin then you're not alive. And you're only alive when the Spirit of God breathes life into you. And it is pure hogwash to say that we shouldn't talk to anybody. They're just anonymous Christians. Well, I know some anonymous Christians. You know, it's like those people that Vance Havner used to talk about. It said, so, you know, they say, Well, Brother Havner, I'll be with you there in spirit. He said, Well, I'm glad they told me because, you know, they're floating around everywhere but the church. <laughs> he gives us clarity. Second thing he does is he gives us confidence. He gives us confidence. Verse 13, the word confidence or boldness or assurance is used 12 times in the book of Acts. Confidence in the truth about Jesus, confidence in the truth about salvation, confidence in the truth about heaven, confidence in the truth of the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He gives us clarity. He gives us confidence. He gives us courage, boldness. (laughs) Old Peter fell into that trap, didn't he? before the Spirit came, Jesus said, Simon, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, not me. I'll die for you. Yeah, Peter, he's he's always doing that kind of thing. you know. He, I'll die for you. And he went to cut, you know, if, if I was going to cut somebody's head off, I wouldn't try to take an ear. I wouldn't go this way. I'd go this way. You know, and Peter, you know, Peter had a bigger mouth than he had a sword, I guess. I don't know what it was, but, you know. And then he denies him, and he runs, and he denies. But you remember what Jesus did? Jesus was resurrected, and one day they're out fishing. Peter said, you know, I give up, I quit. I'm going back to what I was doing. And he goes out fishing, and Jesus walks up on the shore, and and he's brought some, some breakfast from the Cracker Barrel. Got some hash browns and some eggs and some bacon and some sausage and uh, well maybe they didn't have bacon and sausage but he's got (laughs) I don't know we're under the new covenant maybe they did (laughs) we'll edit that part Alex (laughs) and he's on the shore and they come up and here's Peter who's denied Jesus three times he's embarrassed himself you remember The angel of the Lord said to the women, Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. You know why? Because Peter was ashamed of himself. And so they get up on the shore, and Simon Peter's there with Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know my heart and you know all things and you know I really like you and I'm very fond of you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he told Peter how he was going to die. And Peter, this is all before the Spirit came and took over control of his life. Peter looks around at John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says, well, Lord... If I'm going to die that way, if I'm going to be taken off and I'm not going to have any control over what, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And in the cat translation, it reads this way. Blessed is the man that minds his own business and lets God do his. He said, it doesn't matter how John dies. You follow me. And so Peter goes to an upper room and he prays. And the Spirit of God comes down and fills him and he preaches a 10-minute sermon and 3,000 people are saved. You know what Peter did? He went and got a bunch of photos taken and got a brochure put out and announced a new crusade ministry that he was starting. That's not what he did. He went and he confronted the very people that could have stopped his ministry and even as he stood in Acts chapter 4, Peter could have thought at that moment... What Jesus told me on that shore is just about to happen. But before they kill me, let it be known that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. You can kill me, but you're not going to kill me until I tell you the truth about Jesus. That's what boldness does to somebody. That's what the Spirit of God does to somebody is they make them into something they could never be on their own. Peter didn't go and take a preaching course. He didn't go and get a speech class. He didn't go and get a uh, how to win friends and influence people. He just got filled with the Spirit and took the Word of God that he knew and went and testified and witnessed to the fact that Christ changes lives. Not everybody can go on a mission trip. Not everybody can stand in a pulpit and preach. But all of us can be bold about our faith. And we must never apologize or back down or compromise or say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Listen, they will be offended with you if you are silent if they go to hell because you didn't say anything. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you let me know? Why didn't you invite me? Why didn't you pray for me? Why didn't you long for me? Why didn't you speak the truth of me? Well, I was afraid you'd get mad at me. Listen. Listen. I've had people get mad at me for sharing the gospel with them who later got saved. But if you don't plant a seed, you never reap a harvest. We are in the business of planting seeds and being bold about going into the field that God has given us and sharing the truth and the good news. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to help you. And when you need it, I'll be there to give you what you need to say. Isn't that great? I mean, we're not floundering around. We don't have to say, well, I don't have enough study courses. I haven't been to enough seminars. I haven't, haven't gone to enough classes. No. Just tell what you know. And trust God that He'll use it. Just tell what you know. You're going to meet somebody this week, and they're not going to know Christ. Are you going to be bold or are you going to be a coward? Are you going to speak with clarity or are you going to mumble? Are you going to have courage and confidence or are you going to worry about what men say? The fear of man is a snare. How will you respond when God places before you an opportunity and a person in a place at a time when you can bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ? I was in Florida two weeks ago doing a Bible conference, and we went out to eat after church. And the pastor actually goes to the same place every Sunday night after church for one reason. He's trying to develop a ministry with the people who work there. I thought it was a very good idea. He's trying to have a ministry with the folks who work there. And so when the waitress came up, we were sitting there. There were about six of us sitting there at the table. It was a new waitress. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but when you're a new waitress, you're a little nervous because you don't remember what the special of the day is and you're not sure if you can carry that tray with all those glasses and everything else, you know. You're just a little uptight. And so he turned to the waitress and he said this. He said, you know, in just a moment, when you bring our food, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless our food. Is there anything that we could pray for you or with you about And she said, well, I don't go to church. He said, well, that's not what it is. Is there anything we can pray with you about? And she said, well, my mom's sick. And they don't know if she's going to make it. What's your mother's name? And so we got her mother's name, and when she brought the food, she stood at the table with us while we prayed for her and for her mother that she might know the grace and the goodness of God. So when we were leaving, I said, well, David, how's this working? He said, "Oh, it's working pretty good. He said, one of the waitresses joined the church about a month ago. He said, every one of them in there knows my name. He said, we have one goal. He said, we're so tired of eating there, we can't stand it. (laughs) He said, we have one goal. There are six people in that restaurant that we know don't know the Lord, and our goal is to reach them for Christ. When you go out and eat tonight, be a good witness for Jesus and look for your opportunity. When you go to lunch tomorrow, be a good witness for Jesus and look for your opportunity. Because God is looking for bold witnesses like you and like me to make a difference in this community. Let's pray together. what I want to ask you to do right now is very simple. I want to ask you to pray about tonight and tomorrow. What will you do tonight and tomorrow to be a witness for Jesus? And so just in the seat where you're at, would you just turn that seat into an altar and would you get before God and say God I don't want to keep all of this to myself I want to tell somebody so would you take the altar where you are seated and would you ask God to show you the person, the place, the time to give you the courage to to say what you need to say when you need to say it to the person you need to say it to. And this week for God to use you as salt and as light for Jesus. You just pray, right?
1: The door I will walk the path, and I'll run the race, and I will never be the same again. I will never be the same. Close to the... Door. do please do